Welcome to the Bread and Cup podcast hosted by Corey and Shauna Burris. They are a former pastor, a college teacher, and Pacific Northwest coffee lovers. Mostly, they are Jesus followers who find themselves in lots of interesting conversations with non-Christians, former Christians, wondering Christians, and young adults from all kinds of backgrounds. And we want to invite you into those conversations. The Bread and Cup podcast is a place for real talk about the Bible, life, and what it takes to move beyond the easy answers. So let's grab a cup and join the conversation. Welcome to the Bread and Cup podcast. This is Shauna. And I'm Corey. And uh, we are back to talk about our experience in Denmark. So uh, we prefaced this a little bit in the last episode, So, but I'll give you a quick recap. We went over, uh, visited Shauna's family, uh, lots of her extended family while we were over there in Denmark. And while we were there, we sat down with her brother um, who um, and his wife. Who are awesome people, um, very similar history to us in terms of their walk with God, but also their journey. Lassa and I, Lassa, Shauna's brother, uh, he and I both went to uh, Bible college, went to the same Bible college. Shauna actually went to it too. Uh, we both had pastoral degrees. We both were in ministry for a real short amount of time and then kind of like got into a totally different world. Um, and Steph um, is in the same boat. She went to a Bible college. Um, graduated from there, um, much like Shauna, very uh, 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 woman-focused, wanted to, you know, be a leader within the church and different things like that. And so they share a little bit of their journey. Again, a lot of it parallels some of the things that we did, but they did it in Denmark, which was a unique yeah. experience. And we their talked faith about faith rebuilding. Yeah. Yeah. And their journey in a lot of ways, a lot yeah. of their ministry experience over there. Yeah. Um, one of the things they will mention is that they went in and they they went into Denmark, again, a very secular world, very um, atheistic state church, Lutheran only church, and immediately found an evangelical church, right? Yeah, an and international so, one. An international yeah. one. So something very similar to what they would have experienced here. Um, and I think there were good and bad about that. And so it, but it kind of opened uh, their eyes to what they liked and what they didn't like and, and where they were. And uh, so they're very honest about some stuff here and it's yeah. awesome. I like, I really appreciated how kind of vulnerable and forthcoming they were about yeah. some stuff, uh, what they were willing to share. Um, and they knew we were recording. We didn't like hide the microphone or anything crazy like yeah. that. But um, so um, I hope you enjoy this. Do you have anything else to add before we... No, I think this is a phenomenal conversation. I think it's um, a, maybe a uniquely special um, set of episodes in that we talk a lot about the conversations we have and that what the point of this podcast is, is to bring these different conversations you and I are having and come together um, to invite other people into it. Um, this is a moment where you literally get to overhear how these conversations go. And um, I, all I want to say is a tremendous and heartfelt thank you to Lass and Steph for um, just their hospitality, for their friendship, um, and for their willingness to share their story here with you all on Bread and Cup. So let's get into it. So I think we should just start with, like, where are you guys at mm. in church mm -hmm. your walk with god and the, how those two small questions do or do not cross oh. 
I'll, I'll let Steph go first. Oh, thank you for that. A loaded question. Well, just to give a little bit of context, I spent five years in Denmark working in church, which I really thought was a, a calling. You know, I mean, I grew up in a church where calling was a very big thing. To be called was like an honor. You know, if you have a calling, you were like stamped with a special seal. You know, so when we, when we moved to Denmark, like my first thought was like, well, hey, if I get a job, I should work in church. And so I found a church. I mean, the church we were going to was a, an international church. And, and so I think it's easy to think because you're working in church that you also have are in a healthy place. Like you have a good relationship with God because you're doing good things for him and you're, you're showing him to people. So that should be enough. Um, and there were good things my church was doing, so I'm not, I don't want to be like unfair and be like, wow, it was bad. Like, no, I mean, they had really good goals and a good vision, and you know, they were reaching the Syrian refugees when they came, so there were a lot of really good things that I was very proud of that we were doing, but it also happened to be just an unhealthy leadership structure, and, but it was one that was really easy when you're in that position to just kind of ignore or deny or make excuses for that we'd see people burning out and going down, like, I don't know. I don't even know what you call it in the U.S. In Denmark, a lot of people go down with stress, where it's just like all of a sudden they're working, working hard, and then all of a sudden they're just done. And we would see that all the time, specifically in church. And there would just kind of be all this like whispers, okay, we can't tell people that we're stressed. Mm. We don't tell people mm. we're stressed. We don't tell people we're busy. Well, we're both. <laughs> you know, but we can't say it. You know, but it was just this, and it was this attitude of, well, you're privileged to be paid to work here. There yeah. are people who work here for free. They're called volunteers. And so there was always this, like, it didn't matter if you had a family. I mean, I remember one specific meeting where we were being told kind of what new expectations were for our leadership team. And one of our members had just had some, like, babies, like, small children, and being like, hey, but we have kids. And our leader being like, I don't care. Oh, like, say that. What? I mean, you'd be like, oh, what? In the world? Yeah. You know, and so... So I worked in that for five years, and then COVID, and then the kids getting diagnosis, and you know, not in that order, but you know, I broke down, and I had two really, really bad years where I just could not get myself together. I was completely broken, and I, I think I thought that, that they were trying to help me, and I think in their own way they were, but I think you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I look back. And I see kind of how I was brought back in and how rules were constantly changing and things were always unstable. And I look back now and go, that was so unhealthy. Mm -hmm. I think you need to clarify that you're saying brought back in. It's that you... Oh, yeah, sorry. You know, you had... You'd worked at the church. I worked at the church. And then you took a period of, oh, like, sick a break. Yeah, you took, took sick leave for, for a while. Diagnosed. Okay, yeah, that was around yeah. Aria's diagnosis with, uh, with Asperger's. And as soon as I came back, they switched my roles, put me in a different role that was not clarified... And teammates I was working with weren't told that I was the one in charge. So it was this really weird dynamic of trying to like insert yourself into something with people going, who are you and why are you here? Yeah. Especially in ministry when it's like, it's all relational based, right? Yeah. Where everybody takes it so seriously. And then COVID hit. So as I'm like trying to like get into this thing mm -hmm. and like, um, this is like a side note, but you guys have seen the movie Encanto? Mm -hmm. Have you seen it? Like Louisa, the song Surface Pressure. Mm -hmm. The first time I heard it, I was like, oh my gosh, that is church ministry. Like, mm. that, that is what I felt because there was always this sense of like, okay, I'm doing this thing. Oh, I can see myself here. Oh my gosh, I'm going to fail miserably mm. at this. There is no way to, to like succeed in this at all. And so then COVID hit. A bunch of people were 
just sent home and were not allowed to work because of an offer that our municipality was given where the church would get money basically just to send people home and not have them work. It was a thing. And so I was... That's how our government here in part dealt with COVID to make yeah. sure that people could stay home, stay safe, but still not, you know, still be still able to afford life, right? Still to a job. Yeah. But I was sent home for six months. So even though I was at a place where I was ready and willing to serve, there was nothing for me. And kind of the deadlines were coming back, kept changing. We'd be like, okay, you can come back this month. And the day before, we'd be like, no, no, uh, uh, another month, another month. And so by the time mm. I came back, I felt so demotivated, so kind of disillusioned. I kind of had an area. I was, but it was just, there was, and our senior pastor retired. So there was just like all of this huge transition happening personally, pandemically, and in the church. It was just like this vortex of all big things happening all at once, which was not a great situation. And so at the end, just in this process, we had a new leader come in and he just decided to kind of clean house. And so all of us got laid off at the end of kind of that journey. And so I think at first I felt, well, it doesn't matter if I'm laid off. I love my church. Mm. I love the people here. Like it shouldn't matter if I have a title and it, it doesn't. But I think after you've been in these levels of leadership where you kind of know how things are run, you know what is motivating, what is not, and you come in, like once you lose your influence, people kind of stop coming to you. They stop thinking to include you because in, in a really cynical way, sometimes there's nothing in it for them. At least that's how it felt for me. And so I think we tried for a really long time to like continue to participate in church. We believe it's important. We have kids with autism and we really wanted them to have this church community. And then at the end, like I just felt like a ghost in my own church. Mm-hmm. You know, where it was like people knew that I had kids with autism. So it was kind of like, oh, well, that's your realm now. You, you, you do you. Hi. You know, but it wasn't like, hey, how can we do life with you to make sure that you're still feeling like you're a part of this? You lost your job here. Like, how is that for you? Like, we still see you have gifts and talents. Like, hey, we can use, you know, I was never invited into anything after that. So it just felt very, I think I was kind of disillusioned because I felt like, wow, this has been my home. I've poured so much into this international community. Do you know who I've advocated for? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not that I'm wanting all of this praise, but like, if you knew how hard I advocated for things, you know, how, how many battles I fought in private. And it feels like it meant nothing. <laughs> how, how did that feel in the midst? Because, like, I mean, you know our story, right? Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, yeah. we were, you, you mentioned at the beginning, like, you felt called. When you were not in ministry anymore, how did you feel about that term called? <laughs> Because that's like, I mean, that's like one of those terms that we hear a lot and we throw around a lot and we, we, we cherish people that are called, mm-hmm. right? Like we put them on a pedestal and yet, like, I don't know that, I don't know that we know what that means. Anymore. No, I, I think at that point I felt like, what does that even mean? Yeah. You know, like in the context I grew up in to be called was basically to work in some level of church ministry, right. to have a ministry, to have a platform, to have... You know, so once all that was stripped away, I just really felt like, okay, so either I'm not called or like, I don't know what's gone very badly. And so that was, that was a hard thing to reconcile with because I felt like, God, I still love you. I still want to serve you, whatever the capacity is. Like a title doesn't matter, but I do still want to feel like I have a place to belong. And I didn't feel like I had that anymore. Hmm. I can say a few words also about calling, if that's okay. Um... I remember very specifically growing up in, in youth group, right, and having all these, uh, I mean, I was raised in the church, right, from I mean, the, pretty much when I was born, right, our mom was 
attending uh, church. Yeah. And so uh, I can remember being in youth group and, and, and you, you hear your youth pastor talk about about calling and about uh, you know people going into ministry and everything like that. And I remember feeling um, at the time like I just want to serve God to the greatest degree possible. And and so you're I mean at least in our tradition right there's lots of time spent up at the altar in prayer and your youth leaders are talking to you and you're in small group and everything and so I just remember a lot of encouragement you know people saw I think a guy that was you know committed to God and and you know maybe a little social and and you know maybe had some potential and so they think oh okay you know you're called right they would tell us you're called. And so that's when I started. I mean, you guys were attending Bible college also at the time, right? So, so you had been a step kind of ahead of me by by some years. And so I saw the experiences that you were having there, and and then I hear my youth leaders and my youth pastor telling me that I have this calling on my life. And so I think, oh, the the way that I can serve God in to the greatest degree possible, of course, I should go into ministry. I should go get a Bible degree, and. And I mean, I really liked your, your Bible college. I had gone and visited you guys and whatnot. So I had a sense of what it was all about. And I went to Bible college for four years. I got my degree and I, I don't like regret that experience. It was an amazing four years. I had lots of great relationships and I, I really did enjoy studying the Bible, right? Like learning all the depth of the gospels and the different books of the Bible and stuff like that. But then I graduate, I do a one year fellowship at a church in, in Medford, Oregon, and then I come back to Olympia, and I'm high, through a, a long story, I got hired at, a, uh, I guess, our home church there, right? And I lasted a year. And, and it was brutal. And it was brutal, right? And, and that's when we were just married. And that was when we were just married and everything. And so then... I really makes you question your calling. Well, so, and calling. Then, so I, I mean, I ended up resigning because I knew it wasn't working, right? And that whole time... I'm questioning this idea of calling, right? I'm like, oh, but I thought I was called. And here I I failed very, very quickly, right? Oh, we checked all the right boxes. Yeah. Bible college degree, and then it just kind of... And it just kind of evaporated, right? And so then I went into, you know, a, regu- a more regular job, right? And spent several years just kind of processing that decision, the same way stuff that you did also when you... Uh, we're in ministry here in uh, in Denmark, and I don't know. I guess my my perspective on it has has changed quite a bit yeah. in terms of like, is there is there this like very kind of official spiritual God you know fire that comes down, comes down, like, down yeah, and you. boom you know, or you know, are there are you drawn to something, and are you the like. Are you the right person to to fulfill that that kind of role? And and I think, you know, I, I come back to what I said at the beginning, right? That I just had a desire to serve God in the greatest degree possible. Does that have to be vocational, paid ministry at a church? I don't think so anymore. I think lots of people can serve God to the greatest degree possible by working a regular job, by taking care of their family, by ministering, I'm using the bunny ears quote thing here, uh, to the people that they are the closest to. Well, I think it's much simpler. I mean, we grew up in a very, like, kind of bombastic era. We grew up in the 90s where it was like, we're everything's bigger, everybody's falling over, everything is just bigger and larger than life. And so 
And so, of course, this idea of calling, I think, was also kind of blown into this, like, oh, you were called? <laughs> Versus, like, no, God calls all of us yeah. to serve in the sphere that he's given us. And that often isn't shiny. It often isn't this big platform. Oftentimes, it's in the really humble places that no one else sees. Mm-hmm. And I think kind of having been in both places, it is, it's humbling, but I think it's also really beautiful. Um, kind of on the other side of church ministry right now, you see that my marriage is in a healthier place. Mm-hmm. I am able, I mean, I'm, I'm more present with my kids. I, you know, I, I feel like I'm able to connect more. And we have extremely meaningful conversations that, well, frankly, in the past, I was just too tired to have because in the service of the call, I was always busy yeah. from my family. And I don't think now that that's very honoring to God. Do you feel... Like you have, I'm saying this stuff because I feel I've gone through all of this, and like the only reason I'm saying it, but like, do you feel like you've disappointed your family? Because like, wait, like this, this family, or which, well, like, which I'm sorry, this is clearly not Corey and I. You have disappointed us. Good to know. But but like, Steph, just to give everybody context, and not to get into your whole family, but your your family, like your grandfather was in ministry, or is you know mm-hmm. retired from mm-hmm. ministry. Yeah. Lastly, we share a father-in-law who was like proud so that proud. like two of his sons were going to be in the ministry right and it's like it would be like if you were a catholic like oh my son's going to become a priest you know like yeah. it was like a call like to have more kids mark of pride and yeah. mark of status even, I think, right? yeah i think i was i was really disappointing i mean my my grandfather's always been a wonderful person who's spoken a lot into my life and was always very encouraging and i don't think those things were Incorrect, but I think what was freeing at the end was when I knew that it was kind of the end of it. Mm. I remember having a conversation with them, so I'm gonna get choked up, where I felt like a failure. Like, okay, I got this opportunity, and this this is it. Like, I think I'm I think I'm getting let go. And talking to my grandparents, and just expecting this like, oh my gosh, fire of God, you know, mm. and being like, it's okay. Like you're okay. Mm. We love you. We're proud of you. And. Having those words from those people was what I needed. And even having fault conversations, why am I really angry? I'm angry about how things are. Having those specific people give me permission, I think, has been very freeing for me. Because if it had been like, oh, you just need to trust God because there's something else you just have to look for, I think that would have really messed me up. Participation in church has also been quite difficult for us, right? I mean, not just because of some of the reasons that you said, right, where it's it's hard to be, I mean, here in Denmark, there aren't necessarily a lot of churches that, you know, are in the tradition that we grew up in, right? I mean, you have... And the, English-speaking, by the and, way. And English-speaking, yeah, that's, that's a good point, right? So, you know, I think if we were living in the U.S., right, we think in any city that we lived in, right, oh, well, this it, it didn't work out at this church, you know, yeah. we, we could travel five mi- in a five-mile radius, we could find another church that we felt like we very quickly could integrate into and, and, and make friends at and, and kind of just fall into place, right? Well, okay, we feel now, now I'm seeing what's okay, but uh, that, that is my feeling now. I'm sure, hearing, we'll, I'm sure we'll hear some wonderful thoughts from you guys on that on that point later. But sharing about our experience here, uh, that would be my sense, maybe incorrect. You're, you're not wrong that there's a church just still maybe not at every corner in the U.S. So many of them have shut down. But it's like every other corner. Sure. There are, there's a They're wider like variety. Right. Um, We're a bit limited here. And so, I mean, here, like, if I, off the top of my head, in Copenhagen, which is a city of, like, a million people, right, 
to find churches that mostly would be similar to the one that we are no longer attending, there's like two options. Two options. Yeah. And so, but one of the Sorry? one of the factors, right, is uh, is that our kids uh, in our time here in Denmark, they moved here in 2015. Uh, in the time we've been here, both of our kids have been diagnosed with autism. Shana's getting shocked. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to be so quiet. I, I already know the story you of them being diagnosed. And and even while Steph was Steph is sad. I'm gonna feed her dark chocolate. That's oh, a really good idea. Yeah, I know. You know what I mean. Even while Steph is still working at the church, like we were struggling to attend. I mean, Steph was definitely there on Sundays and, and all kinds of days of the week and stuff like that, often very early and staying very late. Um, and so we st we wanted our kids to be in the church environment, but but yes, they we had growing up, we wanted that. So yeah, and so but we quickly discovered that they were they just couldn't integrate into the programs as they were. They didn't fit into the boxes. They didn't it's fit into the boxes. Yeah. And they like they had a hard time with a lot of the 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 excitement, right? That kids have during these kind of uh, children's programs that you often find at church, where there's a lot of yelling and screaming and game playing and stuff. It overstimulates our kids and sometimes is even painful for them. And so we still wanted them in the church environment. And so on Sunday mornings. I would get them ready. I, Steph had already left. She would take the train in, right, go into the church. I would drive the kids in and meet there. Um, and most of the time, what that would look like is me sitting in the hallway with our kids, or eventually we found we would go up to the church offices, and you could. I think they would pipe in. Mm -hmm. No. So we would just end up kind of being there at church, not really in participating building. in the services, and then we get a chance to connect with people a little bit. Afterwards, right? Mm -hmm. There was a time when our church had like uh, food trucks in the in the basement, even pre-COVID time. Yeah, and and so, but then when COVID hit, then our attendance at church, and then also with you, you know, lead not working at the church anymore, um, our whole attendance setup just completely changed. Mm -hmm. We said, all right, we're our kids are not thriving at church. They're not able to participate. We're not able to participate. Now COVID has sent us home. So now we've adopted the model of having just home church for the four of us. Mm -hmm. And that's been the case for what? Four years, Ben? I mean, for me, being at home now, it's been like a full year. A full year? Of just being home and not physically attending anywhere. Yeah. Just a year? It's only been a year. Where yeah. were we? Last two years. Oh, okay. So okay. Um, but but so we've not been, yeah, attending at a church. We've just been at home with our kids, and the thing that's kept us going is uh, we've discovered the the Bible Project, right? Mm -hmm. the, their YouTube channel specifically, and so it's it's quite amazing for us to see how our kids have responded. They love it. They'll it's, ask us every Sunday, like, okay, remember, yeah, they're the, they're the ones that keep us accountable. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's something about the these seven or, well, I think it's five to eight minute videos that are mm -hmm. animated. Mm -hmm. And so they do great visual storytelling mm -hmm. while also telling uh, quite deep or communicating quite deep themes and topics and stuff yeah. in a very succinct, concise way. And so it's it's done in such a way that Steph and I still are finding 
you know, nuggets of truth. I was just discussing, discussed in Bible yeah. college. Uh, Not in Bible college. Yeah, well, that's okay. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. But also our kids pick up enough that we are then oh. often having, I mean, for our kids, for, you know, attention spans and stuff like that, I mean, having a five-minute conversation where we're kind of delving into and exploring what was just discussed and then having prayer time. So, I mean, it's yeah. not... There's no worship songs. There's not, you know, a, a, a collection plate going around or anything like that. It's usually about 15 minutes, but that seems to have been enough for our kids and for us well, to connect more and be engaged in yeah. that five minutes than they were in how many years of coming to church here, where they're actually coming yeah. with like big questions, like especially Noah, who will just, mm. oh, okay, I have a, well, what about this? And he'll connect things after the fact to be like, okay, and he'll be connecting stories and characters and things, and I'm like. What? I mean, so it's really cool to see that that's actually like how they learn and what connects yeah. most with them spiritually, which is incredible, actually. Yeah, it's not without its drawbacks, though. I mean, you've also like I vocalized, yeah. Yes, I mean, again, it's what I grew up in, right? So that's what feels normal is to have that church community around you. And I know my kids, especially, I mean, they go to Danish school with a lot of Danish kids, and none of them are Christians. Yeah. And so I know for our kids, it's, it's really difficult for them to be the only ones who identify as Christians in schools filled with atheists, mm-hmm. you know, where they'll talk about everybody's religions, and my kids will be like, no, but Christianity is right, and they get so heated up, mm-hmm. and they're like, guys, like, we love Jesus, we also have to respect the people who don't, we don't need to be, you know. Our kids see it very black and white, oh, yeah. right? So they, 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 they think that by other people even talking about other religions that it's, you know, an affront on God and, and they get very offended and very wound up about it. And so we have to okay, have lots of... From the teachers about yeah, so we, we, have to, we have to have the conversation about like, look at, not everybody believes the same way as you do. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray for them and that you, that it's not, it's okay to talk to them about it and all these kinds of things. Of course we should do that, but we need to do it from a place of respect and we need to do it from a place of love. And, mm-hmm. and so, I mean, some of the ways that autistic kids can, you know, react to that kind of stuff is, you know, throwing tantrums or fits or, or getting very, very upset and reacting very poorly. Um, so, growls yeah. and so we have to have lots of conversations with them and help coach them on this is how you have a, a civil respectful discussion with somebody who disagrees with you about something that is mm-hmm. very near and dear yeah. to your heart right yeah. so it's been um, an interesting experience in that regard yeah the community piece is huge because it isn't it, it isn't just about sort of helping our children get to know those patterns and rhythms, right? Like we can very well establish the rhythms just within our home or ask our other brother, their children, they have three kids. They use the term five family to mean like their household. Oh, cute. Which I, I think is such a nice way to describe it, right? So you can do that within your four family, your five family, your three family, whatever, you know, whatever makes up your family. Um, but our identities are shaped by our social interactions. Our, our views of ourselves, our capabilities, and our futures aren't just determined within our home. The home is very critical to that, but it's actually developed in the broader society. It's 
how you are, whether or not you think you're beautiful is not just what your parents say, although what your parents say weighs heavier. It's also how do people react to you on the street? What do people say to you in, in school? How do they react to you? What do they, how do the clerks treat you when you go on? I'm using beauty because it's sort of the classic one that people struggle with, right? And it's pretty universal. There's different ideas of beauty in different cultures, right? What is, you know, considered beautiful in one is like pretty unfortunate in another. Mm. And so, but all of that is developed within this social context. And I think as Corey and I have talked about what comes next for us in terms of church, because we've been out of a traditional church setting for two years now, right? Yeah. For, for well, yeah, we were, we served on the like, COVID, the digital, digital mm. church. Yeah. Oh, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, we, we hosted every week. We had engagement with those people. We yeah. were we were still in, engaged to whatever degree would have been a pro. I mean, even in leadership and helping to do the sort of COVID um, yeah. marriage conferences. So, I mean, we were pretty heavily invested until about two years ago when we were just done. And, mm. done. and so I miss. Even though we have what we jokingly call church, not church, which is a home church with multiple other couples that where we are getting some measure of community, it's been really great for our older kids. Do you have people rotating in and out? Is it always the same? Uh, We have a little bit. We've had the the original groups of, and it was couples at the beginning, Mm. the original groups of couples we started with were people that had expressed to Corey and I at some point. We would, if you ever start something like a small group, we, Mm. please please let us know. And we'd heard that often enough that we're like, well, that's probably a good next step for us. And so we went to these particular people who had expressed interest in that way and said, hey, we're going to start this. Would you like to be part of it? Um, And one couple had some change in life circumstances, so they were out pretty quickly. Another stayed for about a year. And then exited out, and in the meantime, we've added, um, we've added a couple single people, and we've had a couple other couples who've expressed a desire to join, but haven't quite got there yet. Right? Did yeah. I get that right? Yeah. Um, and it's wonderful, and what we talk about, you know, at the sun, I would say just about every Sunday, we sort of agreed three out of four, but I like getting together, so it's closer to three and. Four, seven, five out of four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Four out of four Sundays is what you're just, saying. Just oh, about, yeah. yeah. Mm. Just about. Um, Summer's hard. Summer's I mean, we're in Denmark. Yeah. So yeah. there's that. <laughs> we're there this week. Yeah. Um, and it's been really great for our kids because what I found is, again, there was sort of the children's ministry thing, which we were heavily involved in, right? And our kids still sing some of those songs. I think there was some, because our kids are, well, two or three are neurotypical and the one who isn't is certainly not um that she doesn't have some of the same challenges that mm. kids, you know who fall um asd have like she presents as neurotypical um they loved kids church it was a great experience for them but youth group was a horrific experience oh. um and they the oldest tried the hardest to connect there and, and really has some pretty deep wounds mm. um, from those attempts and failures to connect. And, um, and some of that, I think, is just the structure of modern, like, drive of church, right? I mean, mm-hmm. when we were kids, right, it was, like, it was hangout time and everybody was 
you just kind of did your own thing and it's become a little more clickish I think mm. a little bit even more so and and yeah, I think some of it was the messaging. It. I think it was the messaging too, and you and I have talked quite yeah. a lot about, especially for females, really? um, the damage of the purity movement, right? Oh, like yeah. everybody's everybody was damaged by that. But there is something particularly damaging to women in at, at least I'm a girl, so I, I mm. feel particularly damaged. And maybe I can't speak to the yeah. men who, who maybe have had that. So I shouldn't that was maybe an unfair statement. In, as a woman who grew up in that culture, when I speak to other women who grew up in that culture, compared to the men I know, yeah. it seems that the cost to things like identity, safety, hmm. future, that impact had a heavier, longer impact on the women than it did on the men. Mm-hmm. I think that's maybe a fair statement. Yeah. And that has been very true for our daughters. Um, and... So as we exited and they're unpacking their own stuff because they're now old enough to be unpacking Mm. their own stuff, um, our home church, especially because it's comprised of different generations, we have some new parents, um, like the the mom of the couple, like we can, we could almost be her parents. Like I think uh, she's like 26 and we've been married 25 yet. Like, but so they're younger parents. And then we've got some like parent to parents that got like preschool, grade school age kids. Mm. And we've got some single people who are younger. And so we have this good mix of generations and our kids just like hover and listen. Mm. And it's really cool because we have these pretty dynamic conversations where there's push pull and there's, Frustration and questions, and also celebration and praise. That was a that was a big theme when we first started doing the thing. Is this we we use the concept of push pull conversations, which is like you don't want to ever have a conversation where you're talking at people, right? Which is what I mean. Sunday morning, not 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 to the like traditional church though, right? You have a pastor up there who is. The smartest man alive at that moment and is going to whatever he's called. He's called. He's called. That's it. That's all qualification. He has this wisdom and he's going to impose, he's going to to deliver it to the people. And how eloquent he, how eloquently he can deliver it is how good of a church it is, right? Right. In many ways, that's what it is. And and that might be a little like simplifying like church in general. I don't know that it is though. Like I think I think a lot <laughs> at of least churches not the evangelical church, right? right? We do not get to lump every Christian denomination. No, of course, but, but, but I, think, I think there are definitely churches out there where it's like the the identity of the church or the quality of the church. Or I'm struggling for the right yeah. adjective there, but like you know, it's it rises and falls on the quality of the preaching, right? Yeah. Like that's what yeah, draws absolutely. people in, and, and I mean, yeah. having a charismatic... Well, that's why women should el- never preach, because el- we're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> we're terrible. I'm pretty sure it's somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. And so like, what you have is, like, that tends to be what it is, and so we, we said, well, we want to have conversations that are pushing people, not just, but not pushing like you need to be doing this, but also like where where people also pull at each other, yeah. right? Like you said this, what do you mean by that? Like we wanted to have something where, and we Dig wanted deep. our kids. Yeah, we pull out the deeper things. Like if you believe that, why do you believe that? Give me that. Or if that's your frustration, what expectation wasn't met? Like 
Yeah, be frustrated. Your emotion is fine. But what's the expectation that was unmet? Is that expectation even fair? Let's draw that out of each other. It's intelligent conversation, right, to be able to do that. The question is thought in the audience. Christians can often get so used to the shorthand that we're taught, right, Mm -hmm. at at church and in Sunday school and these kinds of things that you go into a setting like church, not church, and if you don't have that kind of expectation of push-pull, people just start nodding along. Hey, you know, uh, God is good. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you know, and then you don't dig into the deeper things. You don't uh, really wrestle with what people are wrestling with week in and week out. And we do have people that I would say spend more time listening than they do talking. Mm. But because we also have relationship with everyone in the group, separate relationship. We, what, well, you found more than I have. What you found is that they're absorbing. It's, mm. it's a different experience. It's a new experience. Or it's just a welcome experience, even if it's not new and different. And so they're simply absorbing. And then they go reflect. And then they want to have a conversation. Yeah. That conversation happens outside of the structure of, sun, of the Sunday gathering. Yeah, but I that's think, fine. It's, it's not when it happens. It's that it does happen and yeah. that it happens consistently. I mean, you, you got to the point of, of church, no church uh, through your kids, right? And the fact oh, that they kind of are sitting there and they are, they're doing yeah. this sitting and observing. And, and I mean, just quick anecdotally for me, uh, we visited the U.S. last summer, mm-hmm. right? And so we have... Because now we've been living in Denmark for eight years and we've come back to the U.S., I want to say, four times or something. So we kind of get to come into your lives, you know, periodically, periodically and we get to see these small glimpses, right? We're not there in the day-to-day. And one of my favorite takeaways from visiting last time was we weren't having church, not church, but we were having a deep conversation for like yeah, three hours. And it was yeah. theological in nature. And it was like three hours long in your mm-hmm. living room. And I remember walking away and we, we talked about this where... Your your kids, they were there with us, mm-hmm. right? They weren't. They were they were chipping in occasionally. I think mm-hmm. Anna was in particular chipping in occasionally, mm-hmm. but Elle in particular, I don't think she said a word or maybe three words total mm-hmm. the whole time. And I, I I just one was fascinated that that they like that they wanted to be yeah. there. No one was holding them there. No one was keeping them mm-hmm. there. They were there of their own accord. That they were also allowed there, or that it was okay, mm-hmm. right, for them to be talking with the adults, right? So there was there was intent from their side, but there was also, you know, allowance from, mm-hmm. from our side. And that they are getting exposed to, that they, that they were seeing adults have these kinds of, these very honest, open conversations about faith, right? We were not discussing things at a surface level. Mm-hmm. We, we were having the push-pull conversation, and I so much love that, and it's, I think, influenced I don't know for you Steph but for me it's like influenced how I talk to my kids in general mm-hmm. right like Absolutely. you know treating them not not like adults on the same level like right. not having the same expectation of return but kind of just stating things how I see them and being okay with like I don't have to package it so well so right. that they can digest it's it as right a kid way. right like that right. Steph and I will have lots of political, religious, you know, all kinds of conversations together with the kids, either in our proximity or not. But I just, that I don't remember that being my, necessarily my upbringing completely. Mm-hmm. And I know it isn't always the case. So I just, I love that, that kids can get exposed to deep, 
stimulating intellectual mm -hmm. conversation. You right? can explore all facets without an opposing viewpoint becoming like this big threat to even talk about, but you can exactly. process it and chew on it and be like, well, why do we think this way? Why do we not? Mm -hmm. What's problematic about this? Right? Mm -hmm. You can do that and it's a safe space to do it. Yeah. Well, I think you, oh, you had mentioned a friend of yours who, who through some devastating circumstances had a very rigid faith structure shock. Yeah, and one of the one of the biggest things for for us in raising our children is we didn't we wanted to give them a rock solid foundation but but not but not a a, a rigid cage that once you cracked one piece the whole thing stumped crumbled right so like a rock solid foundation that that they can stand on they can rest on they can build their whole lives on but what they build and how they build it is up to them opposed to you know some sort of cement castle of perfection that as soon as one piece of it begins to chip it doesn't matter how solid the foundation is the whole thing's coming down and you know when you shared that story of your friend, that's what I view, right? She was given such a, a, a rigid idea of what it meant to be Christian, to be successful in your faith, to be called. We're opening the beers. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, it's, it's, we did not do what? And we're eating and we're drinking. So many it's what we're doing. It is. I, this is what I'm just saying. So now we're having an I, two different kinds of IPA, which I would like on the record. It tastes gross. But the boys love or it. Or tastes awesome. The word you're looking for that one was excellent. I will say that right now. So. Yes. It was donated to me by a student from my school whose family owns a vineyard in France. So I wanted to wait for a special occasion. What is the kind of it? Like, yeah, go check it out. If you guys can find it in the US. Domain Murmur Murium. I have no idea what that means. It was South excellent Valley. wine, though. Yes, Domain M U R M U R I U. Appalachian And it's a 2020. I'm going to slaughter the French. Cuvées Oscar? I don't know how to say that. We obviously don't drink wine. But I don't know what it is, but just circle back to it. It's by the Pichon Thank you, Bichon. Thank you, Bichon family. Hopefully, this is going to be my attempt at a segue. Hopefully, the Bichon family is also giving their children a solid foundation, but not a rigid structure. Mm. Because if you give them a solid foundation, it almost doesn't matter where they go. They get to build the the life and the house and the and the future that that they have in front of them. Their gifts, their particular experiences, their talents, their intelligence, whatever it is. They get to build something on top of this solid foundation that will be very sure. When we hand them a rigid structure, the minute one piece of that structure mm -hmm. is found to be flawed, the entire structure comes down. And I think that that it's incredibly important to me. And it seems maybe like I like we're being overly permissive in the way that we teach Christianity to our kids now. I mean, certainly they were raised. I mean, they were very much raised in, in the church. But even then, even when our kids were quite young, they would have questions and I would have no trouble saying, you know, I'm, there's a couple different ways that scholars mm -hmm. look at this in the Bible. And our church believes this. I, have, I land here. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's an agreement. Sometimes it's a little to left or the right of that. But this is where we tend to land and why. Um, 
But this is really something as, as you grow up, I want you to continue thinking about. That's a good question. Mm. So you just you just keep reading the Bible. Oh, I like that. Like, you know, I want you to keep thinking from, about this. Yeah, like yeah. You, you get to sort of wrestle this out in your own faith to sort of borrow that term. And that my hope, and I mean, it's TBD. Our kids aren't quite <laughs> done yet. But my hope is that what we're giving them is something that's reliable and sure. Mm. And that treats them the way your grandparents treated you, right? When things don't turn out the way they felt the church or Corey and I expected them to turn out, that they feel very, very sure that they are loved, that they are seen, that they are known, and that they are good, that God created them good, mm. and that that it, it's it's okay that, you know, whatever structure you build, if it's not working, Add on, expand, redecorate, and teach them that all the time. Literally, like, just, oh, that color doesn't work anymore. Paint over it. And that that isn't wishy-washy faith when mm. you know what the foundation is, but that you get to continue discovering who God is and who God is to you. Because who he is to this type A force-born girl is going to be very different than it is to our third-born son, right? Like, the way that that relationship is. And I want them to have a solid foundation, but lots of freedom. Mm. And to wrap it, like, even back to what you were talking about being mm. called, right? Like, I think sometimes we have, we have structured, and I'm not trying to, like, just, like, throw fire or gas on the church, but, like, we have structured the services to be about, like, we have these called people, and they are mm. going to answer down edicts, and they will teach you, right? Like, you have a pope, mm. and I'm not trying to, crap on the Catholic Church, but like he makes choices, right? And he, he was called, so therefore he gets to make decisions for your life. And the church was never like that, right? Mm-hmm. The original church, they sat in rooms yeah. and in circles and they talked and they and they wrestled through letters from Paul and talked about them and in and, and they had discussions about them. And when when somebody said, Hey, Paul said that I'm supposed to trust God, but I just lost a child and I don't feel that way anymore. They got to live that out with somebody sitting across from them able yeah. to say, I understand where you're at, but I think what he's trying to say is this, and this is how I this is how I understand that, right? Mm. We don't have that anymore in, in the modern church. And mm. honestly, for us, that's a lot of what we're looking for. Like how do we how do we be part of a community that is also part of a conversation that is happening? Mm-hmm. Not because everybody's right, but because everybody has a voice. Everybody has a point of view. And we still want leaders. We love the Bible Project. Dr. Mackey has done an extraordinary amount of work and study to be able to speak authoritatively. We're not saying that people can't be authorities and that we cannot learn from people who know a lot more. We can acknowledge the expertise in the room without deferring our entire life choice because of one area of expertise. And I think that's maybe the distinction, and we bring that with us to our marriage and to our children, of we have an expertise that's valuable to you, but we're not actually the experts in your life. Yeah. Like, only you know what your relationship is with God. Only you know what, what like, the best way to use your gifts, what's going to light you up and what's going to drain you. I have some hopes and dreams for you. I know you quite well. Yeah. Just like I have hopes and dreams for my brother and his wife and their family because I know you well enough to be able to imagine what could look good for you. But at the end of the day, it's up to you guys and it's up to our children to discern if that's actually what 
feels well on, you know, sits well on them. And you can't always know what every person's every experience is. And I think that's where, where you need, we all need to have enough humility to seek out and to honor the expertise in the room. And that sure. can be things like what Dr. Mackey has, right? Um, it can be what your grandparents have. It can be what a pastor in a pulpit has. They have reason to be experts in things. But that expertise is one element of how, how your faith engages all the rest of who you are. When I go to sleep at night, it's not because of what a pastor tells me to do or not do. Right. When I go to sleep at night, it's what is the Holy Spirit doing in me within that 24 and the next 24. Um, so that was part one of the podcast. Um, there is another part that's going to be coming back uh, on the next episode. Um, and so hopefully you will enjoy that. Um, it is uh, another discussion that we had that kind of can, you know, It's an um, extension, extension of this. of that piece, yep. but it was a, a very heartfelt piece as well. To join the conversation, like and subscribe, then find us on Instagram at Bread and Cup Podcast. You can also find us at our website and other social platforms linked in the show notes. Thank you.